to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Nearest amount of times I also had to go to hospital for overdosing. I went to hospital probably like 20 times plus. Did you? Throughout those three years. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Addiction. It's a slippery subject. It's one that we cover, I wouldn't say often, but we've done it a few times here on The Deep. And today's episode is about a woman, Jess, who got addicted to prescribed pills, medication from a doctor. This is more common than you might think. It's happening and it's happening to young people. Jess's story, it's scary, it's traumatic, it's fascinating. Enjoy. Content warning, if you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. First of all, Jess, I want to say thank you for joining us. I know you have a terrible migraine. That's okay. I'm happy to be here. And there's also a bit of a link, actually, which is strange because the migraines are really the starting point for this conversation. They sure are. Can we go back to the first experience of that for you? Yeah. So I suppose they started when I was 12 years old and then they kind of got a lot worse over the years as I got older. Um, But then when I was probably, let's say, 20-ish, um, I started taking my father's Missendal Fort because he also gets migraines. When you were 21 and you started to take your dad's pills, yeah. did he know about that? Yeah, well, he's had them migraines as well, you know, since he was a kid. My whole, his side of the family kind of gets them. Mm-hmm. And it's like um, he saw how debilitating they were for me, you know, during my year 12 exams and whatnot. Um, and my, when I was like 19, 20, he's like, why don't you just try one, see how you go? Um, and it, it helped, you know, it took it away from me. Wow. Yeah. That, that would have been a game changer, especially if you had struggled for eight years. Yes, it was a massive changer for me. Then what happens? You, you obviously aren't cured by taking one pill. Do you access more drugs from him? 
No. So basically I saw my doctor okay, and my neurologist and they're like, okay, let's try this. And they also said this to the four, which has codeine in it, which is really addictive. And then basically from then on, my body developed a dependence to it because it's having it so often. When you say so often, how often are the migraines and how often are the pain pills being used? I suppose I was having them more than weekly in my migraines, um, but I've got a lot of rebound headaches as well, which I wasn't aware of at the time. What does that mean? So basically it's like called a medication overuse headache. And usually if you have, let's say, painkillers more than 10 days in a row in a month, you can get a really nasty headache, basically like a migraine, but it's not a migraine. So just this horrendous headache where you just feel horrible and it's like debilitating as well as a migraine. Okay. So there's like, it's a double-edged sword. Yes, basically. Okay. So you're taking these pills every day? Yes. I was close back then. When I was 21, it wasn't every day. It was, let's say, um, I don't know, three times a week. But then, yeah, I developed the dependence and I wanted more and more. What did you want? The, what was the bit you wanted more of? Was it the feeling of the drug or the feeling of relief? Um, it was both. So at the beginning, it's obviously relief or respite from that kind of pain. And then yep. what other feelings does? So are we just talking codeine or is this a more complex drug? No, now? it's codeine. Um, a feeling of like kind of euphoria, if that makes sense, feeling like blank. Like at the time there was a lot of stuff going on with my parents as well. Um, my dad was cheating and I've had a child of all the trauma as well, like in regards to my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was 21, I was just, I was in the middle of my parents a lot and they're arguing and everything too. So basically I was just, I didn't want to feel anymore, especially with the migraines. It was just, it was an escape. It was a way for you to peace out and not have to be as present. Yes, definitely. So from there, like I'm assuming a doctor has warned you that these are addictive? Yes, both my neurologist and my doctor. They've seen now that you're, I'm assuming they're warning you about your usage? Like, Yes, yeah, they definitely were. I actually ended up, um, they stopped prescribing me. Missindle altogether uh-huh. because like she has a dependence to it. And at the time, you know, what sales probably like maybe 22, 23 now, I was having it daily. Um, and so like, yeah, just, we can't give her any more of this stuff. So I actually started doctor shopping as well. Okay. We need to talk about that. What is <laughs> doctor shopping? So basically I would go from doctors to doctors wherever I could get it or wherever I could actually travel to via public transport to get my painkillers. So you would make an appointment at like a random GP or something and say that you'd give the spiel about the migraines or whatever it is. You'd get the um, script Mm -hmm. and then get it filled and then go and get another one. And how often do you do that? At the height of my addiction, I was doing this probably every single day. Wow. I was that desperate. And actually, I got um, also developed a dependent to still knocks as well, 
let's say to counteract the codeine um not to counteract i wasn't sleeping because of my headaches because they were still severe despite having this before because of the dependence my body was just so used to having it i just needed something extra um so i started still knocks as well and that just exacerbated um everything basically so and you're laughing but i'm sure that this that is a cover for this thing that's really confronting for you at this time i i guess it's just looking back at to where i was to where i am today basically um because i've come a really long way and i just think like the things i used to do when i was unwell basically is why i laugh about it because it's just to me it's it's not who I am now, but it's who I was, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what, in an unbelievable way? Yeah, basically, yes. You're taking the still knocks and that got, I mean, um, before it was taken off the market, I remember taking it on a flight mm. and it was so heavy duty that mm. I got stuck in a dream. Mm-hmm. Like this sounds really weird, right? But I couldn't I was freaking out in my dream in my body and I wanted to wake up, but I couldn't physically wake up. And then we started to hear some weird things in the media of people doing really weird things on still knocks. Mm-hmm. Did you, did the still knocks have any strange effects on you? Not that I remember it. I think when I had it, cause I would take it with a missing before it uh, during the day, just cause I wanted oh. to. Yeah. So, so you take a sleeping tablet in the daytime. Yeah, I would but take, stay awake. Yeah, at the height of this, like as I said before, I was taking probably, let's say, ten still knocks per day plus <gasps> about fifteen missing the fort per day. That was the height of my addiction. Fifteen, so, yeah, fifteen missindol, and for people out there, that's kind of equivalent to like a panadine fort. Um, it's stronger not- than panadine <gasps> fort. Wow. Wow. So, so 15 tablets. Oh, at and least then, plus, yeah. And then how many still knocks? Probably about 10 or more if I would have I get my hands on. On a typical day like this, like I'm, codeine really upsets my stomach. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking that's when I've had like an op or something and I desperately need it. And, you know, it constipates you. It does all of these things. 15 of them. What state Mm. is your body in? I was very unwell. I never ate um, because I was always, I suppose, on a high. I barely showered. I was really like extremely underweight. Um, I just had no self-care whatsoever in place. Um, I'm sure your bowels weren't working. (laughs) No, I was always constipated. (laughs) And um, did your period stop? It did, yeah. I had an in-between, let's say, maybe 23 to 26. I didn't have it for those three years. so It seems kind of um, wild that this amount of drug is being consumed, but within that you'd still have headaches. Mm Mm-hmm. So this wasn't about the headaches anymore. This just turned into full-blown addiction. Oh, completely, yeah. This is what's really interesting about these um, prescribed medications is I think there is a real misunderstanding of their strength, especially with youth and young Mm -hmm. adults. 
Um, and we've seen, I mean, I don't know if many people know this, but, you know, I've watched a lot of documentaries on these drugs overseas, more so than here being abused yeah. um, and children becoming like full-blown addicts that, mm-hmm. you know, go on to fentanyl and um, heroin and, and those kind of street drugs because they run out of options mm-hmm. with shopping for doctors. At what point was it for you did someone pull you up on your shopping did your family go what's going on like what was starting to happen for you because I'm sure this is over a few years yeah there would have been a lot of red flags no there was tons of red flags um my mum actually works for so she knew straight away that something wasn't up and that was becoming worse my dad um he also you know, notice I'm having it too much. I was kind of not really with it, if that makes sense, half the time. I was really, I wasn't myself at all. I was just not paying attention. I couldn't really speak properly. I was always mumbling my words. Um, I just, you know, I was high basically like 90% of the time. Um, mm. And when I wasn't, then I was withdrawing and I was really sick. I'd be vomiting. I'd have like diarrhea. Um numerous amount of times I always had to go to hospital for overdosing. Did you? Oh yeah. I went to hospital probably like 20 times plus. Did you? Throughout those three years. So I'm confused then. How come there was no intervention? Oh, or was, they, they tried. Was there? My okay. parents always tried. I think it was 24. My parents um, asked me to go to the rehab. So and, hang on. Your mum works there. Yep. What is it's a residential rehab for people with a dependence to drugs and alcohol. So that's like almost like very close to home. Yes. Your mum is a drug counsellor or working? No, no. She works um, at the databases, like reception kind okay. of stuff there. So. Okay, okay. But that is like really close, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you go, you go in yep. and you're admitted at her work? Yeah, basically I would have been there for probably maybe two months roughly. And at the time I was on something called Suboxone as a pharmacotherapy drug, which is used like as a replacement for people who have a dependence to opioids such as heroin, codeine, those kind of drugs. So is it like a methadone type thing? Kind of, yes. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, So I was on that, but I was coming off it at the time. And I left rehab too early. Like you're not forced to stay there as a voluntary. So I left and they dropped me off home. And then I went out that day to get more painkillers. So you had been, you'd done two months of detox. of, of, And then you, I mean, and I think that's what people don't understand about addiction is a lot of it isn't going to make sense to the everyday person, right, that doesn't have an addiction. Yeah. But but investing that two months, something in you that day was like, fuck it, I'm getting out of here, mm-hmm. I'm getting my hit, this mm-hmm. shit's not working for me. Yeah. And then you wind up back in hospital. So there's nothing rational about this process for you. No, definitely not. Like the thing you learn about someone with a past with addiction when you become addicted to a drug or alcohol, whatever it may be, 
it changes who you are. It changes how you think. It changes the way you act, um, the way you speak, all of it. Like you have like an addict self and like your real self. And at this point, the addict self in me was just completely taken over. And all I wanted was just to go back to my old ways. And even though you sat in this facility for two months and thought, I'm sure some parts of your real self were still present where you're like, Oh, they definitely were. Yeah. What am I doing with my life? I've got so much potential. I want this. I want that. I want happiness and freedom and health. Yep. Does that just lose the struggle, lose the fight to oh, be always the addict? Yeah. Back then, in early days like that, always. And then I'm thinking for your parents, and this I'm just using a parallel. This is a fictional show that's on right now. But anyone that's watching Euphoria, right? There's a drug addict as the main one of the main characters, and watching somebody inflict so much pain on their family members. Mm-hmm whether that's intentional or not, that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. When you're in your addiction, how do you live with that? How do you justify that? Or is it just not even a thought? At the height, it wasn't even a thought, to be honest. Um, my family have been through hell with me, like literally, because I'm the youngest of four. Um, so my older brother at the time and my older sister at the time didn't really quite understand what was happening to me. They never really wanted to, I don't know, I suppose ask too many questions about it, if that makes sense. Um, whereas my other sister, Julie, she's a nurse and she actually can understand addiction and still does. And she was very supportive. And my parents were too, but I was living with them at the time and they had all of it, they were the ones calling, you know, the ambulance when I was overdosing. They were the ones calling the police if needed to be. Can we just go back to the overdosing yep. part? Sure. Were they intentional? No, never were. So you said at the height you were doing 15 plus Macindol's 10 steel noxes. Yeah. What takes you to an overdose? Like, do you know what I mean? Because I'm yeah. assuming by this point you know that this many will last you this long, yeah. you'll feel okay for this long. Do you just get greedy one day or do you just try and muck around a bit or um, push the limits? Depends how much I had access to. That was the main thing. I just, the more I had, the more euphoric I felt, the more of the escapism that it was that I was just, you know, not with the world at the time. Mm. Um, so to overdose... It's usually the paracetamol that you overdose on, not the codeine. Because oh. if you have a lot of paracetamol, that can cause overdose as well. There's a combination, I suppose, of everything. Mm. Um, but it just depends how much you take in that week. Like I'd probably, without knowing, I'd probably overdose once a week at least. Ooh. Um, but it would be so severe, I'd have to go to hospital sometimes. My parents would be like, Jess, you need an ambulance because I wasn't functioning. I would be on the couch in front of the TV or in bed, not eating, constantly vomiting, um, 
it was pretty scary for my parents to actually now, like it would have been horrific for them. It would have been horrific. Yeah. Who was giving you the money to buy the drugs? <laughs> um, no one, actually. I was stealing the drugs. Stealing? Yep. From the pharmacy? Yep. How do you steal from the pharmacy? So I used to give them my script and I'd yeah. fill it up and then they'd give it to me when I was ready. And then I would kind of, this is a long time ago now, but I would kind of just like, I think, look around for a bit and then without them looking, I'd make a run for it and go. I don't know how Medicare or the medical system track all of these scripts, but surely your name starts to have like a big red line under it. Like oh, don't give her drugs. Yeah. I was blacklisted um, more than once and many doctors. So I actually ended up using different names at one point. How do you do that with a Medicare card though? Like when you're making appointments and things or you need to check out. I actually can't remember how I did that. It was a long, long time ago now, but I just, I just lied about it and it worked. Did you ever steal non-direct, like not from the pharmacy? Did you ever steal money to buy I did, drugs? yeah. Yeah, I would actually go for people's wallets and credit cards a lot. Um, I used my mum's credit card and her cash out of her wallet. I'd go to my dad. Um, when I was, how old was I, 24? That's when I kind of met my actual fiancé now. Um, and I was like the worst of all of my addiction, basically. Um, and I actually ended up, I stole his card when we were dating for a few months. And I would from his parents as well, which he knows. Wow. Um, yeah, I did some pretty horrific things when I was unwell. So, Did you ever have to sell sex to buy drugs? No. I would not ever do that. I got around a lot when I was sick. As an exchange? No, no exchange just because I don't want to be home. So I'd go out and meet people on Tinder and Okay. Um I've probably been raped a few times, I'd say. I would come home with like like a black eye or let's say I've been punched in the mouth by someone or ripped clothes. Um so I got to a lot of bad people, I would say, but I just and you don't even remember that? I don't at all. It's gone. <laughs> Should we go to the court case? What did you do that took you to court? Uh, the theft. From the, the shops? Pharmacies. yeah. Okay, okay. And then also I would also steal clothes and stuff as well um, from other shops too. So it wasn't just the painkillers. It was also more than that. So you're like a shoplifter as well? Yeah. For fun? Yeah, it was the feeling of that I can do what I want to do. No one's going to catch me. Expensive things or? Sometimes, yes. I stole the last thing I ever stole was a pair of sunglasses. Like they were probably $100 something dollars worth. Um, and that's when the police took me for the final time. And that's when they took me to the cells. Hang on. The police had already taken you prior to this. Yes, many times. They caught you stealing drugs and things. Yep. And they would just take you back home and give you a fine or something. No. Um, when it became bad, they would take me to the cells, usually for a day or a night or whatever. 
cells, jail cells. Yeah, so if you go to a police station, they've got cells in the back there, and I would be in one of those for a night or a day. How many cells or, or experiences in a cell have you had? Oh, I wouldn't be able to tell you, to be honest. I've had a few. Like 20? Maybe. Okay. Uh, I was unwell for a long time, so possibly. A lot of my past, I don't remember because I kind of, from the trauma, I kind of blocked a lot of it out. And if you were also in a drug haze, it's probably hard you to You don't remember track. it, no. So, yeah. so when you're in there, it's just like a slap on the wrist or a warning? Usually warnings. Um, I started to develop kind of uh, the list of, you know, all your charges and all that because uh, eventually I had to go to court because of all the charges. And I was lucky enough to have a judge who used to be in drug court. So oh. basically drug court judges, they're a bit more friendly, I suppose, than like normal court. Mm. And they're a bit more supportive to helping the person on trial to actually overcome their addiction, if that makes sense. Mm. So my judge used to be in drug court and he was, he stuck with me throughout the whole three years, basically. And he kind of really believed in me to kind of overcome all of it. So if you didn't have him, you would be in a very different situation? Oh, I'm sure I would be, yes, <laughs> definitely. And without my solicitor as well, he was amazing. Um, and he helped me through a lot of it too and my parents. So yeah. I'm like assuming this is quite expensive. Extremely. <laughs> to go through court yeah. with solicitors. How much yeah. did that cost your family? Um, my solicitor, probably 100K all up. Oh, wow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How, and I mean this with no disrespect, but how are you dating or even in the mood for romance when you're throwing up all the time every day, you're severely addicted, you're going to hospital, like how is dating on the cards? That doesn't even seem, how can you even meet anyone? I was on Tinder and I just missed having the comfort, I suppose, of someone else because before I was sick, I was in a long-term relationship for about four years when I was like 421 when it all started and I, I missed that. Um and I just needed that affection, I suppose. So I, yeah, was looking at the same time. Would you just get high, high enough to go out with him? Yeah, basically. He knew or he didn't know? He did. On our first date, I told him everything. Whoa. Um, from literally the fact I was going to court. Um, that I we haven't even gotten there yet. Okay. No. But just, but, yeah. okay, but tell, me, <laughs> tell me about the first date. I can't remember our first date, um, oh. to be honest. I know he went to the city to Cherry Bar in Melbourne. Um, and I, he tells me that he was really shy to kiss me. And it was like he was kind of encouraged by other people to kiss me and stuff, which is really cute. Um, but but I can't you can't remember. remember. No. 
and he's okay with that. So, but you told him that you're an addict. Yep. That you steal. Yep. That you overdose. Yep. That you go to inpatient clinics. Yep. That all, and he was just like, "Yep, she's a. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see this through." I was actually his like first girlfriend. Um. And he saw the real me, if that makes sense, like a snippet of the real Jesse. And that wow. kind of made him hold on. Um, but then things actually got worse for me and we broke up and I went to rehab for the second time. But he made a promise to keep in touch with me because he just, he cared about me. You know, he saw parts of the real Jess and wanted to kind of make sure that I was okay. So he went overseas with his friends like a bit of a holiday she had planned like months in advance before he met me and I went downhill even more so I was stealing more I was using more I was overdosing more um my parents are basically you know they had had enough um my mum was constantly you know locking up a handbag so I was stealing and my family weren't too sure what to do with me and then basically I had stolen again, which was the sunglasses. So under the magistrate's court, there's like a, like probably five levels of sales called, it's called remand. Mm-hmm. And I was there for five days. Um, so basically that's when it was New Year's Eve 2015, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of my final day of ever using and that's when I realized okay this is I'm gonna die if I don't stop basically and I was so scared yeah that was the rock bottom that was my rock bottom can I ask you though like why did you think you were gonna die that time but all the other times when you could have died you didn't think that or is that a ridiculous question no not at all not at all basically I was having seizures because oh. of the growing um wow from all the, the drugs I was on and I was wow. in a little cell with about five girls underground <laughs> And I was the, the um, security didn't give a rat's ass that I was having seizures on the floor on New Year's Eve. Wow. Um, and I'm just like, if I didn't change, you know, I would probably die on the street from overdosing. Next step is, next step yep. is death. Or I would wind up homeless um, because I remember my mum's face when I'd gone to the cells, like the remind in the city. And she came to court one day when I, like, the day I'd gone in. And just that look on her face, it just still sticks to me today. It's just complete, what has she done? You know, I've lost my daughter. Mm. Um, I'm actually getting teary here, sorry. Um, no, that's really heartbreaking. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the look on her face. I'm like, that's just, I had to stop, you know? It's heartbreaking to see she must have been in so much pain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so scared for your life. Yeah. No, she definitely and dad too, they both. Um, but that was, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. 
So wow. So then what? I mean, this is a this has been a big. This has been years. Uh, I mean, it must feel very monumental when you've been in and out of rehabs and jail and court, and you've you've lied and stolen for so long. Yeah. That when you have this moment of like, I really am done. This yeah. is it me that yeah. everything else is exhausted around you like people are like okay yes yeah, sh- like I want to believe you but really how can I yeah mum didn't believe me for ages before I went to court for that last time like to remind the cells I'd actually applied to go to rehab again but on my own terms mm-hmm. so it wasn't mum saying Jess you have to go I was like Jess you know I want to go myself because usually you know someone with an addiction if you want to get better, it has to be on your terms. It has to be your choice, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, it has to be up to you. Yep. So I went, um, applied for again on my own terms and for myself. Does that cost money? No. This is a public resi rehab. Is there a big line? Generally, they have about 100 beds there, so it's pretty big. Um, but there's some in Melbourne that costs like 100 grand for a year or like Wow. You know, it can be really, really expensive. Okay. So you went to the public option and that's the one that's voluntary. Yep. And it's free? Yes. Wow. But for me, it wasn't voluntary because court had put it on my release that uh, I'd be mandated to say for so, how long? Um, I can't remember exactly how long I was supposed to be there for, but in the end... They actually basically kicked me out because I was having psychogenic seizures, like due to the withdrawals from the painkillers, and that was viewed as a risk to them. Um, oh. So I was. If you died from yeah. a seizure, the they wouldn't want to have. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't want to have that risk. Um, okay, so then what? I was in tears at this point. John and I, so my fiance, were talking on the phone and everything, and we wrote letters to each other, um, and I was freaking out completely back because I was mandated what would happen if I left. So I applied for another rehab and they've got like a, how many years, like a, a two-month kind of two-month stay there, if I remember right, that I was there for afterwards. Um, so I went there instead. I was so scared because, you know, I'd, by then I had like, what, maybe a month, two months almost off everything. And I was feeling pretty good. Um, you know, John had come to see me at the rehab and he saw the real Jess, like in full-blown mode kind of. is like, because we wrote to each other, he's like, you know, I see here's my girlfriend again. And we kissed and hugged and stuff. And Hang on. When he broke up with you, yep. what was his reason? Basically, I was at the height, like the full-on height of my addiction and I was really unwell and he couldn't take it anymore. Like the lies, okay. which I completely understand because I was a lot to deal with. Of course. I'm just wondering what was yeah. his turning point. I mean, it takes a very, very unique individual. Yeah, it does. To commit to that. Yeah. And then to come back to that. Yeah. Like you have really got some angels <laughs> around <laughs> you to be like that. I mean, parents, we get that's that unconditional mm-hmm love but a partner yeah wow yeah i like to say that he saved me 
Like he was the kind of, you know, I saw myself back with him when I went to rehab. Like he might change his mind about, you know, me being his girlfriend again. And he did eventually. So Wow. So so you're at this, would you say the final stint of this um, recovery and he gives you what you need, which is this confirmation of your relationship together. Yeah. I mean, we hear about addiction. We've had a lot of addicts on this show and we hear about withdrawal and we hear about the pain, that it is an indescribable amount of pain physically, um, how sick you are. And then you add on these psychotic um, seizures um, and episodes that really take you to the brink. I'm, I'm sure of um, imbalancing your mental um, positioning as well, right? Like because seizures have impacts on the brain. Yep. Was there confirmation of that? Did they say that there was impact on your brain from not just the drugs but from the detoxing withdrawals and the seizures? No, not at all. I was very lucky. Wow. Actually. So it was all like withdrawal and drug induced. Yeah. And then once they were out of the way, that all stopped. Yeah, basically. I was very lucky. Were there moments within this stint that you were like, I need a hit, I need to get back? Or were you just like so determined? I won't lie, it wasn't easy. And I remember still having cravings and urges and urges to steal. So what then takes you to the point where you're like, I did it. I did it. I'm done. It's hard to kind of pinpoint when I was like completely done. I would say within a, maybe a year, I would say that I stopped getting urges and cravings. You were 26, 27? Yeah. And how old are you now? I'm 31 now. So, I mean, that's not a lot of time, <laughs> is it? It's, like it is, but it's not. Yeah. It's been uh, over five years now. Um, Do you still have tingles? Never, no. Really? No, I could actually, I've had a lot of surgeries um, the past few years actually. Other health, like I had appendicitis, um, I had ankle surgery last year. Um, anyway, and no I've, drugs? I know, I've actually, they gave me endone. They gave Were me. Were you nervous? Not at all. I could have today, like I view the addict part of myself doesn't exist at all anymore. I'm no longer on recovery. Um, Are I'm you just- sure? Like, and I don't want to, I, I, I'm just, you know, I have to sometimes speak for the people of course, who are listening to this, who have encountered addicts, brothers yeah. that are addicts, partners that are addicts. I mean, it's such an individual thing, but like, can you really be, uh, like fully recovered like isn't they're like always a little 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 bit you know like slippery slippery little surface I see where you're coming from and it's different for everyone I'm just I can have endone which is stronger than codeine and I can have and there isn't a part of you that's just like fuck it let's just go hard no I can have it and I have an issue with it it can make me like I feel sick when I have it as in wow. just the side effects from it um, but I can have it and stop it straight so, away. 
with all of the, you know, because it's not just a trauma for your family, that was incredibly traumatic for you, you know, coming to the light of day and you are well, you have this kind of devastation and wreckage behind you of people, trust, so much damage done. It's like, how do you go back and just go, mum, fuck, Mm -hmm. I, I don't even know where to begin. What is that process like? It took a long time for mum to trust me again. Um, dad was slightly easier, I think, because he's um, his youngest daughter, like, you know. Um, but because mum had the full front of it constantly, it took years to get that trust back. But her and I are really close now. Um, my whole family and I, you know, we are really close now. I've, I lost a lot of my good friends when I was sick, mm. um, but I've also kept some. So you mean you never recovered those friendships? No. I don't know what I did. That's the thing. So I can't really uh, go back and mend them if that makes sense. Um, And I've tried, but they've kind of don't want anything to do with me, which I completely understand because I was pretty fucked up. But I've made a lot of new friends too. So, Is there a lot of shame around that? Not anymore, no. You've forgiven yourself? I did years ago, yeah. I've done a lot of work on myself, um, even to be where I'm working today, I have to, you know. Where so, is that? I'm actually a drug and alcohol counsellor now. Wow. <laughs> That's full circle. Yeah. That is a full circle experience. Yeah. Do you see yourself in some of the people you're working with? Oh, definitely. Especially my clients who are mandated to attend. Definitely, Yes out of your experience, not all of them are going to make it, right? No, unfortunately. I wish I could say they can, but, you know, there's really low stats and actual how many people can recover. Do you have um, or have you done any physical work on trying to remove trauma in that's been held in the body? Um, I'm actually going to start seeing a counsellor soon. She does like a a thing called the Richard's Trauma Process Approach mm-hmm. um, and that's going to help me with my childhood trauma plus my trauma from my dependence um, because in my relationship today with my partner or anyone really, I get a lot of feelings of abandonment and all these emotions come up. Like I get really emotional kind of for no reason mm. and that is what I believe from my like work through my own work, my job and all that, that it comes from my past and my trauma. Mm. Finally, a couple of things. John, how is he? Oh, he's the best. Um, (laughs) We actually got engaged just recently. Congratulations. So, yeah, when we got back together again, our relationship just kind of bloomed. Um, Wow. He must be, he must have really seen through it all. Oh, he did. He's I love him so much. It's ridiculous. I want to ask you something, and it's a really controversial question, and I think I'm going to know what your answer is because of the line of work that you do and because of your story, but do you feel like saving addicts from overdosing, spending time, money, effort, resources into bringing them back to continue hurting themselves over and over again and others 
is worthwhile. Absolutely. I know that lots of people um, listening probably have a very low tolerance for addicts. I understand that, but they have to remember though, it is a disease and it's not our choice. I think that's the key, right? Is we yeah. hear that one liner and it's almost been overused. Like yeah. it's a disease. It's not us. It's a disease. It's not us. And at the end of the day, it's almost like you have been possessed. Oh, absolutely. By like a demon or something. Yeah, it's just something, and I, it's an awful thing to ask. Like, if it's worthwhile, no, all human no, lives, all Look. human lives should be. But I know that people are going to want to know, like, is it worth it? There's a lot of stigma today still around mental health and addiction, unfortunately, and people don't always think that it's worth like trying. But it is like, if you find someone, you know, and they actually want help, then absolutely the worth every part of it, every cent, every bit of effort. Even if those stats are really shit, it's still worth trying. Absolutely it is. That's why I got into my work. You know, like I, if my clients ask me if I have experience, I say yes, and their attitude, their engagement changes straight away. And they're like, oh, shit. They go, you're me. She gets it. If she can do it, I can do it. And they see that. That's why I want to do this podcast because I can share that, okay, Recovery is shit. It's hard, but it doesn't define you. Your past, you can change it. You just have to put the effort in. Our final question today. Who are you when no one's watching? That is a hard question. (laughs) Um, I'm, oh gosh. um, I don't know. I'm a daughter. I'm a fiance. I'm a friend. I'm, I'm happy. You know, I'm healthy and I'm getting teary and sorry. Um, I'm really grateful (laughs) to where I am today and how far I've come and that if I can give someone just a bit of hope that they can do it, then that'll make me happy, you know. Thank you for being so brave to share that with us. Thanks, Zoe. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. 
During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.